Hello, this is Richard Outram, and welcome to the Prepare for Growth podcast series, bite-sized wisdom for leadership and personal development. So thank you for taking time out to join me. I'm so grateful for this unique opportunity. Okay, and in this week's Prepare for Growth podcast episode, I'm thrilled to introduce Carl Sprague, CEO, counselor, and coach, Vistage Florida chairman and blogger. Carl is also president of Sprague Associates, a management consulting firm which helps companies deal with strategic and financial issues related to growth. And he's been doing that for almost three decades. Carl also was an investment banker for 18 years, including principal at USBX and GSR Capital. He also serves on the board of directors of Four Kids of South Florida, an organization committed to helping foster children. Carl is a dear friend of mine. Carl, I am so thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it and look forward to it. Absolutely. Very and, much. And so Carl's wisdom bite for this episode, the only constant in leadership is change. All right. And so Carl, as, as you know, you know, we're going to basically have a framework of three sections. What have you learned? What would you change and what are you grateful for? And then the last section here was really the quick round, right? We'll do a quick fire round. So let's get started, Carl. As you've done your work in the Vistage chair and you've seen many CEOs, what are the attributes you look for in a successful business? Well, there are a variety of things and this has come over a, a period of those, those three decades. But really, there's part of this is the what I call the leadership trifecta, but it's what I look for in business. It's intentionality. Why do we do what we do? It's not out of habit. It's, it's through intention and requires that, that people rationalize and, and evaluate and challenge the, their processes and, and, and procedures. There's, so it's intentionality, it's clarity. Clarity of purpose, clarity of vision, clarity of communications. And the, that clarity prevents all of the, the, the confusion and, and uh, lack of, of traction that occurs. And the last one's alignment, top to bottom, side to side, and when those three things line up, the intentionality, clarity, and alignment, it, it, it's powerful. So that's, that's one bucket uh, of things that I look at. I think beyond that, there's healthy tension. Anytime there are you know, two individuals, let alone a team of people or an organization full of people, you'll have conflict. Well, how is that conflict managed? And, and does one dominate and overwhelm the other? Uh, or is it something that, that, that we can surface, uh, put on the table and use the energy uh, that comes from that? And, and so I think, and, and I'm sure you've seen in organizations, the, the dilemma of sales and marketing versus finance operations versus administration. And it's not the loudest voice or the, the 
the, the strongest title uh, that should win that battle. It, it's that mutual respect between those two that, that creates energy. It creates tension, but that can be used and it, it, it can be used powerfully. And, and the last element that I look for in companies is they are working towards a future state. They're, therefore, they're welcome or they're open to continuous improvement. There is something that they are trying to achieve and attain today, tomorrow, next week, next month, which prevents them from being satisfied with where they are or, or trying to protect the status quo. So they're open to change. They're open to be challenged, to, to think things differently, to, to look at or consider different perspectives. So from a business standpoint, I know I, I threw a lot in that, but, but there's, there's a thought process behind, behind how I, I go into companies, how I look at companies. And when those elements are there, I know we're gonna have fun. And the, the company that results next month or next year is gonna be far different from the one today. And so uh, anyway. No, no, that, that, that's a fantastic, that's a fantastic list. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about um, in your experience in almost four decades, I guess, almost five, including the-, the um, Don't rub that in, Richard. <laughs> I, I won't, but, it, but there's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of wisdom. Um, you know, this is the definition of a, of a healthy company, right? We've we've certainly read the books around the five temptations of a team, and uh, I mean, not five the, the five dysfunctions of a team, and the the five temptations or so, whatever it was, of the CEO. CEO yeah. um, you know, those are interesting points there, but uh, we're going to explore more of those. So, what are the attributes you look for in a successful leader? I think foundational to good leadership is self awareness. Yeah. So leaders understand their strengths, their weaknesses, how they are experienced by others. I think good leaders focus on communications. Some are naturally more gifted virtually, but they understand the importance of communication throughout the organization. And so looking at how they consistently convey and communicate the most important things to the people who need to hear them. Uh, there, there's a, let me digress for a second because I, I, I love this statistic. University of Missouri did a study where they concluded that 80% of our awake time is spent trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. So whether it's written communication and texts, emails, whatever form, speaking, and also listening. So 80% of our awake time is spent trying to do that. The same study concluded that 75% of what we say is ignored, forgotten, or misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that is the challenge for a leader, knowing that as an organization, as humans, we're trying to communicate but 75% of what we say, ignored, forgotten, misunderstood. And improving that to 50% of what you say being ignored, forgotten, you can be a rock star. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so the recognition of 
what I say, it was so eloquent. It was so strategic. Everybody got it. No, good leaders understand messages need to be repeated different times in different venues in, in different manners. So good leaders focus on communication. Good leaders also develop their people. The idea that wanting their direct reports, their team members to grow on a regular basis, to enhance their careers, rather than I need to protect these people and keep them with me at all times and, and damper that growth, they feed the growth. And, and it becomes part of what drives them as leaders. And they can celebrate when people who work for them get additional opportunities. Hopefully it's within their organization, but even if it's not, they can look on that positively. So they develop their people and then they're lifelong learners. Yeah. I think the best leaders show up to work and say, how can I do it better today than I did it yesterday? And what do I need to do to even be better at this tomorrow? And, and that's the reason to read the book, consider the article, have the conversation, look in the mirror, listen to their direct reports because they're learning constantly. Now, 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 Carl, in your first list and now related to the second one, um, I completely agree about, you know, a meta skill of the 21st century is, is self-awareness. And we're going to delve deeper into that. Okay. As part of that, what about vulnerability? Well, that becomes key the, the, the single biggest reason I, I'd say the most effective teams and a necessary component of teams is trust. Yeah. That is the glue through which everything is held together and, and allows companies to grow. Part of it is also mutual respect. Yeah. And I think necessary to that, and you made the two references to Patrick Lencioni books. Yeah. Yes. And and I completely agree with him in his five uh, dysfunctions of a team yeah. that foundational to a high performing team is trust. And the best way to build trust is for a leader to express vulnerability. Yeah. They've got to lead with vulnerability. And and that's part of where the self-awareness comes in or where how it gets executed since people understand their weaknesses and they are comfortable sharing those weaknesses, they are comfortable sharing their mistakes. And that makes those discussions a safe place, but uh, no vulnerability. And it's one of the, the most in, misunderstood parts of leadership is, is people assume leadership positions. I've got to have all the answers. I can never make mistakes. Well, guess what? We're human. We're all flawed and we all will make mistakes. And the, the confidence that people can approach that subject with their people, it goes a long, long way. That's a great point, Carl. So here's another way to look at this. And I, I can't, when I read the, 
Harvard Business Review article on this one, but it talked about, you know, the attributes of successful leaders. And they came to one conclusion after studying thousands of businesses. And it came down to conquering adversity. It came down to the fact that, you know, these leaders had something in their storylines, in their lives, which was about conquering adversity and them emerging stronger out of that. And therefore the ability to grasp the context of problems and that hardness that comes out of that, not hard emotionally or anything else, but that hardiness. And I found that really interesting. It was almost uh, an adaptive capacity. What would you say about that? What would you say about that? I mean, I completely agree with self-awareness. I completely agree on the trust and, uh, you know, the vulnerability. Um, but this article is quite interesting. Yeah, I may need to let that marinate for a few minutes. Yes. Richard, my, my initial reaction would be, <clears throat> I agree with that to an extent. Yeah. When you look at driven, successful entrepreneurs, invariably, there is a story in their background that is part of what drives them. And that whether it's the adversity that they overcame in their past or the, the, the scars that they carry with them that drives them to overcome today's adversity, th there's an element of that that I agree with. What makes me a little cynical though is there also, when you look on social media, it's almost part of the requirement that you have to share the adversity that you overcame that molded you into who you are today. And so the people that led middle-class lives, got decent educations, that go back in their past and say, there was nothing really monumental. Well, are they being told that, no, you can't be successful. You can't be a good leader because you don't have this in, in your past. And, and I don't agree with that. Interesting, yep. You know, I, I think for some it's DNA. I think for some it is that background that, that has steeled them and, and, and drives them. And I think others, it may be partly from the, the experience of following a role model and, and seeing it demonstrated and some of it may be, you know, a learned skill uh, that overcomes. So I'm the jury's out on whether or not I'm going to go along with the Harvard business. Great answer. Great answer. I respect that completely. Okay. So what's uh, currently on the, on the CEO minds in a post-pandemic world? Uh, I think there are, are, are three primary things right now. One is, is talent. Yep. And it is uh, almost top to bottom and, and industry to industry. I think when you look at, at some levels, a number of CEOs are trying to figure out from, you know, servers and cooks and hospitality to warehouse workers and drivers and, and, and people who may be at the, the lower end of the wage scale that 
their open positions and, and they can't fill them. I think in, in, in mid-level management, it is, there's a, a war for talent and people who are A players for existing companies, well, those owners and, and bosses recognize that and are, are trying to retain them. And yet they're also, I've heard just a number of stories about people that are losing a talented members of their, their, their teams for salaries that are 20%, 30%, 40% above market. Well, what do you do with that? Yeah. And, and so, you know, at the highest levels, it, it, it occurs. So number one is, is, is recruiting and retaining talent. I think that the second element is the uh, remote work yeah. And as, as companies come back to work, trying to solve that situation of what is the appropriate uh, model. And so the idea of pounding the table, no, we want everyone back. Well, there are a lot of surveys that, that are being conducted that say, well, all employees don't necessarily want to come back. And if you create the hybrid, well, what do you do with culture? How do you manage teams? How do you evaluate performance? And, and so it's forcing people to look at, at different models. It's forcing them, lo and behold, to listen to their employees. And, uh, and so lots of, of discussion. And I think even some of the, the mindsets or, or plans that people had six months ago about the return to work, those are evolving and, and, and morphing in, in real time. So that's those two items. And then the third is the supply chain. Yep. And whether that is, uh, gosh, construction and, and raw materials, whether it's plastic and resin whether it's items that, that are being imported from China uh, and elsewhere, just the, the availability of raw materials, the cost of freight and delivery, and, and going back to companies that are looking for drivers. But it's for a market or, or an economy where lots of companies are doing well, there are a number of companies that are at a limit because the supply chain has hampered their growth on top of the challenges to talent and being able to, to get the people that will allow them to continue to grow. Absolutely, Carla. And two things I would say, it's, you know, your one and two, the talent and the remote, remote work are, are interrelated. Employees and employers will have more choices now, right? I mean, you know, if, if we choose to go outside and get a remote work, it's, it's probably a lot more acceptable today than it was um, you know, a year and a half ago. And that starts to lead into the demand supply equation and comp and all that kind of good stuff. So oh, yeah. I would certainly say those who are, and on the supply chain, it's amazing as, as you read the papers and you know, uh, only a few months ago, the, the Suez Canal issue, how it reverberated throughout the world. And I read over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal, and I can't remember the name of the Taiwanese company, but a substantial portion of the world's chips 
are essentially uh, manufactured by this one company in Taiwan. And talk about a risk management issue if something happens there. Oh, well, and that's that's being experienced when you know, COVID shut businesses down, oh. schools went remote, and you had entire school systems. Okay, we need to outfit all of our students with iPads or laptops, no. whatever it is. So they'd put in an order for 50,000, 100,000. And then to be told, well, the chips aren't available that allow us to fulfill them. What do you mean? These are our students. And, you know, but it, it becomes a reality. So it, it really, and it, it's forcing people to rethink the, their own supply chains, the backup suppliers. And so uh, onshoring, nearshoring uh, has taken on a, a whole new level of, of, of focus. Right, okay. So we're gonna, we're gonna drill deeper now into uh, the biggest traps for CEOs and profitable, profitable growth. So as your years as a coach and consultant, what would you say is the biggest trap for a CEO to profitable growth? I, I think the biggest trap, I, I can give you several, but the, the biggest trap is complacency. Mm -hmm. People get comfortable. And, and that, that old expression, good is the enemy of great. Companies get comfortable. They lose their edge. The underperformance, the, the activities that run contrary to some of their core values, they start to get into habits. They don't want to challenge the status quo. They get lazy. And they can remain profitable through that until one day they're not. But it's just the accumulation day by day uh, over that. And so along with that come the sacred cows. We, we don't hold people accountable and we, we let things slide. But, oh, they've been here a long time. Well, they've underperformed for the last decade. Yeah. But we, so we, we, we can't start enforcing things now, can we? And, and so anyway, there, there's that, that, that slide. And, and I think that's, that's part of going back to what I said before about the healthy tension. That's people who are willing to continue to challenge themselves and challenge the status quo to keep from that complacency setting in. And, and it's, it's really difficult in, in good economies and you look at a, at a, a regional economy like Florida that there's so much growth that has occurred just because of the influx of population, the dollars that have, have come through the, the economy, we all look good. And yet it, it, it's not until there's a financial disruption that, wow, there are a lot of blank spots on, on our page here and things that, that we've really let slip. So I, I, I really think it's that, that comfortability that's the, the biggest challenge. And, and tying this and looping this now into self-awareness, how much of the complacency 
is actually denial. How much of it is denial? A big part of it. Okay. A big Say part. More. Say more. Well, no, I mean, part of, and 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 as you know, I I, I chair three Vistage groups yes. where, where CEOs get together on a monthly basis to challenge one another and share best practices, but get advice on their biggest challenge or opportunity. But part of that is challenging one another not to believe their press clippings. And, and when business is good, well, what's preventing it from being great? Yes. And, and so that mindset of being willing to be challenged and, and some people are like, wait a minute, we just had our best quarter ever. And you're giving me a hard time. No, we're not giving you a hard time. We're just, you know, is this sustainable? Could it have been better? And so that ongoing challenging is, is, is helpful. Some people don't warm up to that. And, you know, thank you very much. But generally, and it's the companies that that stay at a high level uh, that are where the leaders are open to that. But no, that denial is, you know, and and you can go back through all the you know the buggy whip example. But when people say, "No, we're that good," yes, we have absolutely solved yeah. the, the the problem. But that's, you know, we are in a, a period of, of constant change and the pace of change is accelerating. And so the idea of technology disruptions that, that enter the market or, or a pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, go figure. And, but it's forcing people to look at the business model. So part of this is, well, let's not wait till there's a worldwide disaster. You know, let, let's stay on, let, let's maintain an edge that uh, keeps us going. Right, and that leads into another, and thank you for that, great answers there, Carl. So how do you envision the role of the CEO changing in the future? Yeah, they, Richard, there are a couple of things that I think will be universal. Yep. And timeless. I, I think that the, the, the need for self-awareness, the need for communication are always going to be components of, of effective leadership. I think two elements that we're seeing more of today, and, and these will be growing going forward, is the... Uh, agility, the uh, adaptability uh, going forward, and then resiliency. I think those two elements. And when you look at the the pace of, of change in technology, things that are being introduced, and it's not just, we can't define our markets locally, regionally, almost every business in the United States competes on a global basis in one form or another. And so being mindful of introductions of business models, of technology, 
of of the way services are rendered, business is being conducted on a worldwide basis, the ability to adapt to change and a willingness to change, and then resiliency. As you adapt to change, you're going to take a few body blows along the way. Yeah. And, and, and recognizing that you, you stay at it, you keep uh, pounding forward uh, to, to, to overcome. So I, I really think those, those two elements and the other thing around adaptability, I, I thought it was interesting when, when COVID hit and oh my gosh, here's a black swan event. At some point you look at what they classify as black swan events and there seemed to be a black swan event every year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, so welcome to the 21st century. This is how we operate. This is the world we, we live in. And so I think the idea of the CEO who hunkers down, doubles down on yesterday's business model and methodologies doesn't stand a chance going forward. So I love this conversation, Carl. I love it. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little mini challenge here. Adaptability. Uh-oh. And back to my earlier point about this Harvard Business Review article, which talked about conquering adversity and how that creates more adaptive capacity. And your example was, you know, middle-class person, you know, going through life, etc. What happens in terms of adaptability there? Which one, which one is better suited for adaptability? Well, I, you're going to win me over here, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm just putting another point forward. No, I, I think it is like any other experience when you can draw on an experience you've gone through yes to help you address what you are facing today it gives you a leg up right and, and okay you're, you're you're starting to nudge me in that direction <laughs> that's awesome okay and and about adaptability and change so how do leaders get in the way of transformations how do they get in the way Well, in in a variety of ways, I think sometimes some of the best ideas to address change and to adapt change come from within their organizations. And they need to have the, the mechanisms in place to field those ideas, to listen, to, to consider. Uh, I think it, it's also going back to your question about vulnerability. There is that challenge for leaders. Okay, everyone's looking at me. We're in this crisis or we need to adapt. They want to know what I recommend or what, what we ought to do. So they want to have the answers. And when they do have the answers and they're confident in those answers, great. On the other hand, sometimes when the leader says, I don't know what to do and I need your help. 
and use that as the basis to adapt, to get the ideas, to create the plan, to implement that plan, and to recognize, okay, we're all in learning process here. How will we pivot? When will we pivot? Uh, and, and so it's, it's part of that adaptive process, not just for the organization as a whole, but for the individuals and, and the leader wearing that, that badge. Awesome. Okay. All right. And so as you've been around the block in Vistage, what topic does a group consistently discuss but never seem to resolve at their respective companies? One topic. Okay. You, you've turned this into a trick question. <laughs> because part of the nature of Vistage is to hold one another accountable. Yep. And so there shouldn't be topics where we let CEOs slide. Having said that. <laughs> <laughs> there is one, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it's what makes leadership and, and growth in companies challenge. It's people. Yeah. It is making the hard decisions around people. And so it's one that, you know, when we have the, the discussions, our executive sessions, where people can ask, ask or share their biggest challenges or opportunities, the majority of the time we are talking about problems, those problems revolve around people. It's the, the, the wrong person in the wrong seat. It's the person that the company has outgrown. It's the, the A performer who runs contrary to our core values. Yeah. And I can't fire my best salesperson. She's responsible for 30% of our revenue. Yes. But... We tolerate that behavior. And so it makes us hypocritical to all the rest of our employees. And so I, I think, Richard, it is that subject of, of, of people dealing with people problems. You know, it's easy to have conversations around compensation and hiring best practices. All of those are positive. It's the difficult people decisions and, and one of the elements of Vistage is when someone shares an issue and gets advice from the group, they've got to come back the next month and say what they actually did. And God forbid they get the, the, the advice to take a hard stance or make a hard decision on the people front and come back the next month and say, ah, I chickened out. I didn't do anything. Right, right, right. Yeah. But it's also where empathy occurs because everyone around the table has said, oh, I've been there. Yes. And, I've, and, and invariably, that's part of the benefit of having people with shared experiences is to say, you know, if they had to let somebody go, I waited a year too long to do that. Yep. And when I did... 
we found somebody to replace them in fairly short order, but all of my people said, thank goodness, we thought you'd never get around to doing that. Awesome. Okay, all right. So we'll, we'll turn the tables a little bit around on this one to, to, to your last point. You wrote a recent uh, blog on Get Father Faster, which I loved, by the way. It was on managing up, even when your boss is delusional. So let's talk about, you know, looking up rather than, you know, managing from, uh, from the highest level. So what are the specific strategies for managing up successfully? Okay. Well, first of all, Richard, there's a, there's a mindset. And understanding that it, that it is a relationship and understanding that there are some elements that go along with that relationship, like the fact that your boss has an impact potentially on your compensation, on your continued employment, yeah. on the types of opportunities that, that come your way. Also, the, the recognition that they are human. Yeah. And therefore, by definition, they are flawed. Yeah. And, and so they will have strengths. They will have weaknesses. There are personal needs. There are career aspirations that they have that can cloud that relationship and their performance as it, as it relates to you. And so you have to set that aside. Yeah. You have to acknowledge it, but you've got to set that aside. You can't have your career, your performance, and your success be dependent upon someone else and be entirely at their mercy. If it's a, a toxic relationship and someone whose core values just compromise yours on a daily basis, it's a reason to look somewhere else that yeah. that's something that, that that you can't continue and and but recognizing that they are they are human and and you mentioned delusional <laughs> and, and that's something that that i think is something that's misunderstood but so helpful once it is understood yeah and there there are two studies that i pointed to in the in the blog post one is a study by McKinsey where 86% of the leaders responded that they felt they were motivational and good role models. Separate from that, Gallup did a study where 82% of the employees said their bosses were not inspiring and only 13% were highly engaged working for that boss. Yeah. Okay. I've never been great at math, but <laughs> there is something very dysfunctional there. So most bosses grade themselves on the curve. Hey, I'm pretty good. Yeah. And again, you've got to know that that's their mindset. So they don't see the weaknesses at that same level that you do, but they exist. And again, when you are an employee for that boss, you've got to recognize it. That's not an excuse. That's, that's not a crutch. It's a reality. So, so run with it. So the things that I, I think employees need to do, recognizing that, 
is knowing their boss's strengths and weaknesses. And to the extent you can impact their ability to utilize their strengths and leverage their strengths, they're going to be better at what they do. They will be more successful. Their weaknesses, whether this is something that your strengths complement their weaknesses, that's ideal. But to be aware of those weaknesses and not use those, allow those weaknesses to influence your success or your performance. Be mindful of, of those weaknesses. I think that knowing their priorities and what they view as the things that will make them successful, you need to be mindful of that and not get in the way of those or to the extent you can help them achieve those. That's a positive thing. But as part of that, what is the number one most important thing they need from you? Yep. And, and oftentimes we can show up to work, be, be burning the midnight oil, doing whatever, you know, we're going 100% to achieve certain things. And unless we are in sync with what our boss wants and, and what they believe success is, at the least, we need to have the discussion and recalibrate. But if there is something in our control that we're aware of that our boss believes is our number one priority, well, that ought to be pretty high on our own priority list and, and get, be getting focus and, and attention. I think, Richard, people need to have a philosophy of no surprises as it relates to their boss. The last thing a boss wants is for you to come in, you know, throw up in their lap and leave. The problem, the, the, the situation, you know, their expectation that something was going to get done. Hey, it didn't happen. My bad. Wait a minute. You know, you've now just delivered a, a problem to your boss. And, and so when you know something is off course, letting your boss know about it and your plan to get it back on track or your plan for the next best alternative where you're taking not only the initiative, but you're taking responsibility for the, the, the results. We, we talked a minute ago about trust yeah. and how important that is on a team. I think as an employee, one of the things, whether it's tattooed on your arm, on your forehead, whether you're looking at it in your mirror every day, do what you say you're going to do, which builds trust in that relationship. If someone knows that when Richard tells me he's going to do something, I can not only set my watch by it, but I can sleep soundly knowing that that's going to happen. And I, I think too many employees, they want to get things done and they wish and they hope and they overpromise and underdeliver, and that trust doesn't get established or it gets broken. And, and so I think being mindful of that and part of that, you mentioned the, the Harvard Business Review. Yes. I don't know if it's, it's either the top or the second most downloaded article in the HBR is called Who's Got the Monkey? Yes. Yeah. 
and the idea of keeping the monkey on your back. And so the, the article is written for leaders that when you delegate a task, don't allow it to boomerang back to you. And so as an employee, when a task has been delegated to you, don't you dare put that back in your boss's lap, even though there may be help, support, ideas, resources that you need from your boss, retain responsibility for that and ensure that it that it gets done. So I that's on those are some of the there's a couple more on the list, but those are some of the ones that I can remember. That's awesome, Colin. I gotta tell you from your list, I've learned a lot and I've been around for 35 years now. So thank you for that. <laughs> Richard, we're all works in progress. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I think you had mentioned in your blog as well about, you know, just knowing their blind spots as well, right? Um, and what drives them. Well, well I, and Richard, that's true. We, we all have blind spots. And, and I think knowing your boss's blind spot, I mean, there's a reason why they're called blind spots. They are unaware of them. Yeah. And so whether you can, can make that, that known to them, whether they're willing to accept it or will, whether it's something you're just aware of and, and you can help address. And the other thing is what drives them, what gets them motivated, what gets them out of bed every day. And sometimes it's work-related and sometimes it's not. But whatever that is, to the extent that you can feed and support that, that's that's why they do what they do. That's why they take in oxygen. And and so being mindful and, and again, supportive of that helps cement the relationship and helps you bring value to them. And, and as an employee, if you're bringing value to others, not only does that help that relationship, but that's part of what you then need to be doing as a leader yourself in bringing value to your team. So it, it gives you good practice. Absolutely. And one more I would add, and, and I'm thinking through this, and I remember from your blog, Carl, was, and especially for the emerging leaders, it's know their favorite communication style. Oh. You know, that is so critical, right? I mean, again, with the different media we have now in our world today, and just understanding the cadence of communication, how leaders, what your leader wants to be communicated to, whether it's, you know, you know, short form, long form, data, numbers, you know, every day, weekly, whatever. Say a little bit more about that and impart some wisdom there because that's pretty no, it, it, It's too funny that that's the one I forgot. And before, <laughs> before I got together with you, I just did a workshop on communication <laughs> with a team for just that. that purpose. That's too funny. Now, the, the, the platinum rule is what applies. Do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Yeah. And so we all have a default communication style. And, and in, in a vacuum, that's the way we will communicate with everyone. Yeah. But knowing your boss's default communication style, do they want concise bullet point? That's it. Or do they need facts, data? Do they need time? 
Do they need information? And then it needs to sit and marinate. Knowing the way that your boss needs to be communicated with, and we can't change the way we naturally communicate all the time, all day, every day. But as you know, there are certain conversations and certain interactions with your boss that are really important and we need to influence that person. That's when we've got to know what that communication style is and we prepare accordingly so that we are speaking in their language. That is just brilliant, Carl. Thank you. That segment is, is just wonderfully valuable, I'm sure, to our listeners. Thank you for that. And thank you for putting that blog together. I loved it. I loved it. And I would recommend anyone to go to Get Farther Faster blog and, and read that one in amongst the other ones. That one there, particularly for the emerging leaders, is fabulous. As I said, I learned a lot from it as well. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let's go to the other parts of the, uh, of the framework. What would you change, Carl? Anything, life or business? Well, I'll answer that a couple of ways. Number one, and to get this off the table, I, I, I live my life with a philosophy of no regrets. Good for you. I, I don't want to look into yesterday and, and do the shoulda, woulda, coulda. It, it's a waste of time and energy. And there's, there's always today and there is tomorrow. And, and, and that's, that's most important. I, I think that one thing, if I could influence it, it is, is something that societally, if that's a word, I, yeah. I would change. And it is the way that that we communicate, the way things have evolved such that there is an attitude of I'm right and you're wrong. And then we we read, we talk to to confirm our way of thinking and, and confirmation bias is just alive and well. And with that, the voices get louder. And, and I think the idea of healthy discourse, learning to understand uh, is, is missing. And so if I could wave a magic wand, or if I can do my part in, in my exchanges, uh, that's something that I, I, I would like to, to see change. And the, uh, the other thing personally, and I, I am addressing this. I think the idea of, of, of taking action and embracing today, now, and, and, and using today to move forward, uh, I would have embraced that more uh, in the past rather than, than being patient and maybe depending on others. And, and so, uh, I I can only control today, and so my philosophy is in that is full bore right now, and so despite my age, I am approaching life like I am thirty, and everything is in front of me, and I've got a good forty or fifty years uh, to make my mark and, and and make a dent in the universe. And that is beautiful. Carl, and, and what I would say, just listen to you carefully. I think what you're checking off, at least in this part, 
are the tenets of self-awareness. Ah, thank you. Right? <laughs> those, are, those are the building blocks of just elevating our self-awareness, right? Yeah. Right. So wonderful. We, we brought it in full circle here. Okay. What are you grateful for? Any area of life, not just business. The well, the, the two biggest things, I'm sure you get this on a regular basis, but without question, it is my family. Yep. The uh, and that is uh, really front and center. Uh, I, I think that and, and I, I actually wrote a, a blog post about this where as a coach, I listen to other people every day for hours on end. And I nudge and I, I, I ask questions and I challenge, but I do a lot of listening. And then I come home and the person that I love the most, Donna, how was your day? And oh my gosh, two or three sentences in, I, you know, my mind is wandering. And that idea of being present and making her a priority, making my kids a priority. Uh, so I am grateful uh, that all of us have our health and, and have healthy relationships uh, with one another. The other thing professionally, Richard, that I would just throw in there is the ability to impact other people. The, the nature of what I do as a coach, uh, facilitating meetings of leaders and the blog post and, and the interactions that come with that allow me to play a role in helping other people achieve their, their goals and, and realize their dreams. What a great role. So I, I'm grateful that, that God has put me in a position to be able to do this and so it gets me excited to get up every day and to be grateful every day when my head hits the pillow. How beautiful that is, Carl. Thank you for that. Thank you. So to the quick round, which CEOs do you admire and why? Oh, <laughs> two come to mind. Okay. One name is Angel Alvarez. Oh wow. Angel is the Founder, CEO, ABB Optical yeah. Group. Yeah. Started the business, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. And uh, based on some relationships as a salesman and maxing out a credit card, uh, created a, a contact lens distribution business at his kitchen table. Uh, go forward, he's built the business. Uh, a billion four in revenues, the largest independent contact lens distribution business in the country. That is secondary to why I respect him so much. Angel had the self-awareness and the, the humility to identify his strengths and weaknesses. He hired someone who was his alter ego, a guy named Brad Weinbrum, and where Angel is visionary, sales, marketing, enthusiasm, energy. Brad is the executioner mm -hmm. and the ability to, to integrate systems, plan, 
determine how to execute today, next week, next month. And the, the healthy tension that they created between themselves, uh, it took a great deal of humility for somebody who ran a successful growing business to say, I need a partner in this endeavor to, to do this the right way. And you know, one of the hires they made, Paul Sherman. Of course, yeah. And the idea of someone that was, well, he's too expensive. He comes from a completely different realm, but he knows things that we don't know. And he can take us to the next level. And so to not only hire him, but to listen to him, incorporate him into the, the, the senior leadership team. Again, I, I really respect Angel for what he's been able to, to accomplish with that. The other one runs a nonprofit. He is, I'm guessing, 30, 31 years old, a guy named Brett Hagler, who started a company called New Story. And they crowdfund money to build homes for areas that have been devastated by natural disasters. And they started, Brett and two partners who also complement him. Brett is the, the, the visionary, but he's got someone who excels at operations and another person who excels at, at marketing. And they have built over 2,300 homes that they crowdfunded, they have also identified a way to build homes. They are able to 3D print a home in 24 hours for $4,000 with electrical, plumbing, etc. And they are making that technology available to other nonprofits because their goal is there are a billion homeless people around the globe and there is their goal is to find shelter for all billion of those people. So Brett is somebody who was trying to figure out what he wanted to be when he grew up, had this entrepreneurial bent. He also wanted to do something that would help mankind and Everyone told those are mutually exclusive. You can't marry those two. Well, as he began this venture, it was to, to crowdfund one home. And the idea of don't set your sights too high and all of this. So here's a kid who is just challenging convention and creating new ways of doing things. And so at this point, they've raised over $30 million, have built more than 2,300 homes, have partners on a corporate level now that are, are a who's who in the venture capital field who just said, we love what you're doing, we wanna help. And so th that idea of, of breaking the box and, and determining not only his destiny, but 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 helping mankind in the process. You know, someone I knew as a, as a kid in grade school is now a role model for me. Talk about prioritizing humanity. Wow, that's a beautiful story, Carl. 
I have to be, um, I have to meet him one day. I think that's a phenomenal story of, uh, of humanity. That's I'd, I'd love to put you guys exciting. in touch. That's exciting. Okay. All right. Your top three favorite leadership books and why? Oh, Richard, I, the, partly this is a challenge because I, I, I'm a shiny object person. So oftentimes it's what I read yesterday or last week. But, but I'll answer it this way. By the books that I have shared or given to other people. Right, yeah. Because I felt it fit their world. And this is as recent as, as, as last week. One is Peter Drucker's The Effective Executive. Yeah. I think the original book was published in 1967. And there are, are concepts and ideas that are just as relevant today and, and even foreshadow what's coming down the road. It, I think some of his elements are, are brilliant. And, and it's, you know, specific ideas in, in nuggets of wisdom form that I think are, are very helpful. The second one that we talked about earlier five dysfunctions of a team. Yeah. There is a reason why it remains a bestseller every year. Yeah. It, was, it was published in 2002. When I started tracking this eight years ago, I think I used to tell people, well, there's a reason why 2 million books have been sold. It's now past 3 million books and continuing to climb. Teams are dysfunctional. It's it's the desire is to develop a, a high performing team, and that there's lots of wisdom, and it's it's an easy read and practical advice. Yep. the The other one I can guarantee no one on your podcast has ever shared this. There's a gentleman named Price Pritchett who offers. Reader's Digest type versions of books and short, they're almost pamphlets. And there is a, a book booklet that he's written called High Velocity Culture Change. And it's probably 50 pages, but it is what are the ways, what are the methodologies, how do you change a culture? And the, the, the premise is whether it's by acquisition, you've acquired another company, how do you impact that culture? Or I woke up one day and I wasn't comfortable with the culture that we had. How do I change this? And it is a step-by-step -step, and that there are examples and it's, it's very practical and I'm guessing over the years, I've probably given away 50 copies of that, which tells me it resonates. And uh, so anyway, those are my three. I remember I remember what one of those Price Pritchard books. It was a couple of them years ago uh, when I was at a company called PRC and we were going through, you know, multiple changes and just got acquired, et cetera. And so I hear what you're saying. They were very, very small, like pamphlets. Yeah. And um, very, very effective. We 
we distributed to the entire extended leadership team, as a matter of fact. This was about 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. Right well, no, I, I will tell you, Richard, that, you know, having read almost all of them, you know, half of them I, I discount, say, okay, don't bother. But there are a few that are absolute gems and yes. very helpful. Absolutely. Okay. And so if Carl Sprague had to write a book about business, what would be the topic and why? <laughs> Anybody listening to this podcast may think it's a, a setup. But I know you've asked this of all, all the, your guests, but, but I, I am in the process of writing a book and it is called Get Farther Faster. Okay. And, and I, I think there are specific things that, that people can do and should do to be more successful and to accelerate the, the growth of their careers. And uh, so, uh, I'll let you know as that comes forward. It's, I'm, I'm in the midst of it as we speak. Understood. Okay. All right. And so what advice, Carl, would you give us smart, ambitious college students about the real world? The real world. Uh, the real world, I think so much of how you approach the real world is based on mindset. I yeah. think mindset is everything. And there will be things that happen that are outside of your control. It's a reality. Having said that, those are opportunities. Those are opportunities to learn, to grow. Embrace them. Don't have your world rocked by them. And there, on the opportunity front, there are so many interesting people. There are so many uh, cool methodologies and things that are coming and, and embracing the change that comes with that, whether it's technology, new ways of looking at things, new perspectives. It is, it is part of the energy and, and enthusiasm that, that will carry you. you you've, if you resist change and everything is you know, a, a frontal attack and a personal attack on you, it will wear you out. Uh, on the other hand, if you approach each day that it is an opportunity to learn and to bring value to others, every day is, is, is a great opportunity to get out there and go make that happen. And uh, that's awesome, Carl. And I wanted to just insert some in here because there's a leadership point I wanted to make here because you know, I'm scouring, you know, Barnes and Noble and the internet. And now I'm seeing more and more books about conscious leadership. John Mackey brought one out. He was the CEO of Whole Foods. And then Hubert Jolie recently brought out The Heart of Business, which is really about connecting individual purpose to the purpose of the company and genuine formula and genuine human connection. So your point about mindset and maybe there's things outside of your control. Um, but back to your point about self-awareness and that introspection, there's things which you can control internally and how you respond to that. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Richard, that, that idea of conscious leadership, I think that is also where the next generation of leaders is going to have a chance to really make an imprint. Yeah. Because the idea of the the social enterprises yeah and improving 
mankind, embracing diversity. I think there are a lot of things that, that drive that generation that will be a positive influence on the businesses that exist and, and the leaders who exist. Absolutely. Well said, Carl. Beautifully said. Okay. Our last question. What is your parting advice to CEOs and emerging leaders? Your one, your one piece of advice, your one wisdom bite. It's really part of what I said before about embrace the journey, enjoy the ride, make it a wonderful adventure. That part is in your control. So with the proper mindset that the focus, the, 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 the purpose and the passion behind it, uh, go out and make it happen. What beautiful words. Carl, thank you very much. This was absolutely awesome. Richard, and I've enjoyed it. It changed some lives. This was just fabulous wisdom bites. And I'm so thankful and grateful to, for you to have spent the time on this session and to impart your advice and, and your wisdom bites. This has been tremendous, Carl. Richard, I, I appreciate the invitation. And anytime I get a chance to hang out with you, it's a wonderful time. So thank you so much. Likewise, Carl. And I love you very much. And I can't wait to see you personally. Absolutely. Thank love you too, much. Richard. Thank you so much, Carl. That was awesome. Appreciate thank it. you. Bye-bye. Take care. I hope that you found today's session valuable. If so, please follow me on Instagram at outram.richard and post your comments. Thank you again. Until the next podcast.